find my shelter in you, my God. And there you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safe place. My strength is in your name.
Well, we're having issues. Our, our website isn't working, and we don't have any sound on Facebook, but they are working on it. So I think what I want to do right now is just pray, and let's shake things up a little bit, can we? We'll mess things up. Let's, uh, let's just pray today. Father, thank you that we get to serve you. And Lord, there's a lot of stuff going on with your folks. And they need encouragement. And we're here to remind them that you're still good. And we're here to remind them that you're still on the throne. And these folks, Father, have come out to serve you. And I pray that you would honor that with our technology and that it would start working right. Um, so, Father, as we continue our worship, I pray you bless I think what we should do is continue on. Um, I think we should. Why don't we go ahead and continue on, and then I'll do. I'll come back up. I just heard from somebody that they're getting sound. So. Okay, so it's on. Okay, good. Good. Are you on the? Are you on the app or the Facebook? Okay. All right. So let's just continue. Yeah, let's just keep going. Um, if you can hear, um, hopefully you can. If not, you're just, maybe you're a good lip reader. Over here. Um, we were talking about just, um, you know, obviously what usually happens here is we, we pass the offering plate and um, we can't do that. It would be really cool if we could digitally pass the offering plate, but that's not an option. So uh, anyway, we talked about kind of having this moment more of a uh, kind of a reflective, uh, an opportunity for you to maybe just sit and listen. Um, we're going to sing a song called He's Already Won. And uh, I kind of just want to set the song up, just kind of give you a little background information of why I believe this song is, is relevant for where we're at uh, in this, and where, you know, where we're at in society. So I um, wrote this song. You guys know this. If you've come here, we've sang this a lot. Um, probably a couple years ago, me and a, a friend of mine named Carly wrote this song. And uh, it basically comes from the book of Hebrews. There's a few different verses, uh, chapter 2, chapter 4, uh, that really kind of hone in on what we're talking about. But the idea is that Jesus... If you've read through Hebrews, if you remember, uh, it spends a lot of time just talking about how Jesus is supreme. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. And uh, just kind of goes through and it talks about how he came and he, uh, he lived as us. And, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, interceding, praying for us. And, and he knows what it's like. And so as we were sitting down, like talking through the song, kind of like, where do we want this to go? It kind of came like, what if we were able to, in a way, present the gospel in a song, uh, the good news in a song. And so that's what we tried to do with this song. And uh, the idea is that um, the first couple lines is God in his wisdom came down from above and wrote a new story of his love. Just that idea that, you know, what we celebrate on, on Christmas, the idea of God coming down and being one of us, he became immortal. He wore flesh and bone uh, so that we would never walk alone. So now that we have someone who knows what it's like to be us, uh, second verse goes into embraced by compassion, uh, touched by his grace, his mercy will cover all my days. He understands my sorrows. He understands your discouragement. He understands your pain that you're going through right now. He's felt your temptation, uh, but he's overcome. Uh, it, so it tells us that he, he endured every temptation and he overcame and he didn't sin. And, and now we have that opportunity to, to see that everywhere I'm going, he's already been there. Everything I'm going through, he's already done that. And in my weakness, when these moments of doubt and anxiety, Jesus is going to take that and he's going to make us strong. He's going to use that. And then the last line of the course is just every war I'm fighting, 
he's already won. And that was kind of the gist of the song. It's like, it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter if you're fighting a sickness, uh, if you're uh, going through, you know, unemployment, if you're facing uncertainty with this virus. Um, he's already won. He's already fought the battle. And now we can, uh, we can just kind of rest in that. And then the tag there at the end of this, the one who became the lowest bore our cross. It's that gospel message that he came down he lived with us. He, he took the cross. He took our sin. He took our shame. And now he is raised and he is forever the highest. So that's the idea of the song. And uh, actually what I'm asking you to do is just uh, maybe not even sing this song. We're going to have a couple more uh, worship songs after this. But just kind of uh, sit, kind of listen, kind of reflect on uh, where we're at as society and, and what the promises that we have uh, in Jesus.
The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. And beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Amen. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your ways? Reigning high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me, and your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood, oh, you are faithful forever, you're perfect you are sovereign over us. You are faithful, God. You are faithful, Even what the enemy God. means. Even what the enemy means for evil. You turn it for our good. You turn it for our good. For your glory, 
even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good. For your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. And you turn it for our good. For your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good. For your glory, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. Oh, you are sovereign over. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. Oh, you are sovereign over us. Oh, I trust you, God. You are faithful. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, what
thank you, we praise you that even in these uncertain times, Lord, that we can we can follow back on your word and we can fall back on your promises. And uh, we can stand here this morning, we can sit in our living rooms, uh, and we can, we can declare this and actually mean it, Lord, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, we don't know what next week is going to be like, but we know, Lord, that it is well with our souls because we know how this ends and we know what we've been promised. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to stand on that through the rest of the day as we go into next week. Uh, God, just stand on those promises and, and just be reminded by your Holy Spirit that uh, it is well. It is well with our souls. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Well, this is odd. I'm looking around and nobody's here uh, except Steve Hicks and a scarecrow he set up and uh, Officer Jack in the back who's protecting us. But uh, it's, uh, we're, we're glad you've logged in. It means a lot. I thank you for sticking with us. There is a lot of pieces that actually go in to making this happen uh, and uh, from our website. And as I mentioned to you uh, last week, a lot of you have watched it online before. They anticipated last week to have a, an increase in people who were logging in, but it went like tenfold and they've, they crashed their servers. So they've been working on that all week. And, and so Jeff... Uh, Man, he's worked so hard on this. He got us up and running on Facebook Live. And, of course, today, this morning, when we started on Facebook Live, there was no sound. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. I understand it's up and working now. Of course, you, you won't be hearing me if it's not, but it, it is up and working. And, and uh, there's a lot of pieces. We send stuff out of the building, and then it does its own thing on the Internet. And most churches in this country are on this morning. So uh, it's, uh, we, we expected some weirdness, but uh, thanks for sticking with us. I do want to take an, a, a couple opportunities to, to talk with you before I jump into today's message. Uh, I know that there's lots of people. I've had some emails from people who, uh, from Ohio that went to, my, uh, to our church before, and it's, it's, it was awfully good to hear from you, and we're glad you're logging in. But I do want to talk to um, us as a church for a second, not Carpenter's Way, I mean Big C, a church. Uh, and that is that for the moment, as scary as this time is, God is working. This is, this is, there's some good going on. People are talking to each other. People are encouraging each other. Families are valuing their time together. Uh, families are valuing teachers more. Um, but a lot of good stuff is happening. And, and, and one of the good things that's happening is the church has left the building. Um, we, we, in our, in our culture, it's become kind of a program. You know, we, we wait for our church to evangelize. We wait for the program to do this or that. And uh, we have had so many, and I know, I know each of the churches represented, and I, I just want to be careful to say this morning that I'm not just talking to Carpenter's Way, folks. I know there's lots of different uh, people paying attention and logging in, and I'm, I'm real aware that you're there. And so when I talk about big a church, capital C, I'm talking about the church universal. That is all of those who have accepted Jesus Christ's offer to forgive your sin. If you're not part of our family, you are a fool. i, I got to tell you something. You have found out in the last week, I know you're about to turn off, but just hear me out. You have found out in the last week you can't trust the government. You can't trust Walmart. Uh, you can't trust Sam's. We can't even get toilet paper right now. Um, you, you, it, it, at the end of the day, while inconvenience is going to happen to this life, while sickness is going to happen in this life, if you know Jesus Christ, there's hope for the next. And that's going to come into the, today's text. And I want to I beg you to know my Father. Uh, you don't have to be a Baptist. You don't have to be a member of an evangelical free church or assemblies of God. But you do need to, to be a family of God. You have to accept his offer to forgive sin. 
to repent and, and let him adopt you into his family. Uh, and so, and so I, I beg you to do that because that is your only hope. Not just in this life, but in the next as well. Uh, having said that, man, it, I, I want to thank Carpenter's Way folks. We've had a bunch of you send notes and offer to help people in our church with needs. We have a list, and uh, we will call you if those needs arrive. Much of the ministry that's taking place right now is happening through Bible studies, and that's wonderful, and we want to encourage you to pray for each other, encourage each other, uh, pray for the people that are ministering to us in the community, uh, first responders, doctors. This is a crazy time for them. And uh, they're trying to stay well and all, but, uh, but minister to each other. I want to thank you so much for volunteering. And when those things arrive, we will contact you. Having said that, you've got neighbors that are scared. You've got people in need. You, you, uh, as you drive up to Taco Bell and order your tacos, don't be grumpy. I, we went yesterday and drove through Taco Bell and I didn't get my burrito. And uh, just choose not to tell the manager off. This is, this is a weird time. And in fact, be men and women of hope. Our hope is not found in this life. It's found in the next. And, and continue to do that. Understand that this is, this is strange. And love on your family. Minister to your spouses and your children at this time. So I want to thank you again. I, I want to thank you for serving. Uh, and I want to tell you that we as a staff are praying for you no matter where God takes you. We are praying for you every day. And we are here as you need us. If you need somebody to pray with, you call us. Uh, if you're sick, we can do it over the phone. If you're not, we'll get together in person and staying six feet apart. We will pray for each other. We're, we're here to support you. We're not taking this time off. There's, there's a lot going on. Facebook is a wonderful place to communicate, uh, but we're here for you. Having said that, I do, I want to talk to all of you who are children of God, not just Carpenter's Way, although, although I'm talking to us as well. Um, I want to remind you, and I want to thank you, Carpenter's Way, for your faithful giving uh, in the last four and five months. Uh, we, we are at this point in pretty good shape financially, but that's going to change. Uh, we've already been aware that some of our people have been laid off. We've, we've got a family that owns a travel agency, and you can imagine the stress going on for them. Pray for each other, but I want to encourage you. We're, we're in a healthy state now, and we want to remain in a healthy state. We want to be here to minister to each other. We've got missionaries uh, probably... We've got 22 missionaries that we support, individual and groups, and then on top of we support the International Mission Board and thousands of missionaries, so we want to keep doing that. So be faithful with your giving. And I, I know it's a little more difficult and, and not in our minds because we're not here together, uh, but if you go to the webpage, you can give online. Uh, you can do it digitally. It's all the information. If you go to our webpage, it says giving at the top. You click on that, and it'll tell you how to do that. It's real easy. Or you can email or, or email it. Emailing won't work. You could mail it in, and, uh, and we'll make sure that we continue to do what God asks us to do. Some of you are not going to be able to give that because you're not bringing anything in. Uh, that's okay. We're here to help you. If you have need, we're here to help you as well. And so uh, let us do that. And for those of you who go to different churches, for those of you who have churches, be faithful. Your pastors have, and your leaders have never been through this before. And uh, so pray for them. Encourage them. Uh, support them in, in what they're doing and uh, reach out. So anyway, that's all I wanted to hit on that. Uh, Chad had some awesome things to say that you couldn't hear, but it blessed me, and, and I'm sure he'll repeat a lot of it next week. But uh, anyway, we, we love you, and, and we're so thankful you're here. For those who have not been with us uh, recently, we are in, uh, we're doing a short series on who is this man, a study of Jesus Christ from the four Gospels. We, I've tried to put them together in a timeline. Uh, it's a short series. We're in our 47th week today, and we're almost halfway through. So 
Uh, we have, I, without you here to groan, I can make that joke. So uh, I can continue to do that. And uh, we're going we're gonna to continue. The worship team's here, and they're groaning. So uh, you are well represented. Um, I, I want to I, I jump into uh, uh, this message this morning. Um, as you know, and, and we've talked about this before, but it took Julie and I about eight years to have Zach, who is our first child and our oldest, because we struggled with fertility. Uh, after that period of time, when she finally got news that she was pregnant, she became, we became, we became obsessed for his uh, arrival, and we were so excited, although not financially well off, we were very excited to prepare a room for him, and uh, Julie began the process of, of uh, bargain shopping for furniture and for his room, and we sponge painted his room because that was hip at that time, and uh, I just basically did what she told me to do, and man, his his room was perfect. Um, basically, if you are a husband and your wife is pregnant and getting ready, you just kind of stay out of the way and do what you're told. And that's what I did. Um, however, I got really excited during that season. I felt like there was, got, had to be some things that I could do to make this time special. And so I decided that uh, it was a good time for us to buy a new car. Again, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so I began uh, rationalizing the excuse of buying a new car, that it would not only be good for Julie as a safe vehicle, but it would be good for our son. And uh, so I began looking for a four-door vehicle, and I found it. And I, I remember it. I bought it. I was so excited. I purchased a Burgundy Pontiac Grand Am. Uh, it was, uh, uh, some of you remember it, because when we moved here, actually those of you who are in Ohio may remember me driving it around. Uh, we bought it in Michigan, but... Uh, it was it was the sweetest car. It was it looked so fast, although it wasn't, um, but it looked good uh, and, and uh, it smelled like a new car. I mean, I was so proud and I brought it home and Julie liked it and I loved that purple burgundy car. It was like a fine wine. Finally, uh, after people telling me it was not burgundy, it was purple. I finally conceded. I can't explain why I bought a, pur a purple car, but I did. But man, that that thing was sweet and. Uh, I remember bringing it home and showing Julie and, and, and the smell and all that high-end plastic and the fake wood. I felt, I felt like the world's best provider. And uh, so we got in the car and we drove around the neighborhood. It had a, it had a cassette player in it. I mean, we could travel. Uh, but uh, to make a long story short, we sat in it, we drove around in it. Julie was convinced that I was the best husband in the world and that I had provided well. So <clears throat> I remember after we pulled back into uh, our driveway, I said, okay, sweetie, uh, and, and I said, I, I've got to talk with you about a few things. And uh, I was talking to her like the little woman that she was, and so I took her and I showed her under the hood, which she didn't care about, and frankly, I didn't know anything about, but I acted like it, that yellow thing right there is the, the dipstick, that's where the oil goes. And it was more than she knew, so she thought, man, my husband is something. So then we walked around the outside of the car, and I had told her that we're going to do something that had never been done before. This is our first new car. I'm going to keep this car without a scratch on it. There's not going to be one scratch on it. So I started by explaining, you know how your keys, you have one key, and then you have a whole bunch of keys underneath. I said, when you go to unlock the car, you need to grab those keys and take the one key you're unlocking it with. You need to put it in the key thing and turn it, but you've got to grab these. And by this point, I had moved around the back of the car, and Julie's just nodding as she often does, and and probably thinking, this guy thinks I'm an idiot. And I took her to the trunk of the car, and I put the key, and I said, look, you've got to be careful, Julie, because if you're not paying attention, you'll take this key, and you'll go, 
and I scratched the back of the car. I took it right up. I keyed my own car. And immediately that car was not nearly as precious as it had been a few minutes before. I spent the next couple of years trying to buff that out and getting exact color. I actually went from the car dealership and got the exact color, and it's never the exact color. So every time I opened that trunk, I was reminded of what an idiot I was. But I, I had been so proud. But it wasn't long after that. And if you bought a new car, um, and young people, you need to hear this because you haven't bought a new car yet. But it is so exciting to buy your first new car for about 15 minutes or until you get the first bill. And then all of a sudden, your value system changes a little bit. Uh, it was soon after I scratched that car that I realized it wasn't the most important thing in my life, although it made me feel good and she enjoyed driving a new car. But I scratched it. It is funny and ironic how quickly the value of that car died off. Now, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't the most important thing. I mean, things that you hold precious, that you value, that you walk through life with, as you grow, as you mature, they're not nearly as valuable as they once were. Uh, like toilet paper. <laughs> None of us ever thought two weeks ago that toilet paper would be hard to come by. And now, <clears throat> actually, I have some I'm willing to sell to you for the right price. But it's precious. Uh, to be able to walk into a store and just pick up your fruit is, uh, yes, it can still be found, but it, it could be a half-day project going from place to place. Gosh, I have two adult children. My daughter lives in an apartment in Nacogdoches. My son uh, has a home in Dallas with his wife and his baby. And my goodness, I miss, I miss evenings at home. When, when our kids were home and they were always going, what are we going to do, Dad? Are we going to get pizza? Let's watch a movie. It was like, oh, Julie, these kids never stop. I have to entertain them all the time. Now I'd like another night of that. It was just precious. Um, Rocky sitting right there. I miss Rocky this morning. I miss Pam. Pam Anderson, who, Andrews Anderson, sorry, different, wrong name, Pam, she sits right here, those of you who watch online, she stands up and worships, and she responds to me when I preach, uh, and most of the time it's supportive, uh, I miss the Longinos, they sit way back there, and Steve Hicks and his family, they're all in the back row when they're not traveling, I can see all of them right back there, and I, I see Tom and, and, and Donna Willis over there, and and Chad usually comes in half through. I even miss many of you getting up in the middle of my message and getting coffee this morning. It's, uh, it's just, an, okay, the, the worship team just got up to leave. Um, but I, it's, it's uh, that's Sunday. Chad said this earlier when you couldn't hear him. That's Sunday when we all get back together. It's going to be such a party. It is going to be so good, and you better be here. We are going to we're probably still not going to be able to touch, but we are going to high-five from six feet apart, and we're going to celebrate it. Uh, things are precious un until they're not. And as you get older, you value things differently. Um, I'm going to pray. I want to pray for our culture. I want to pray for our country. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for us. And then you're going to, we're getting into the text, and you're going to see why what I just said matters. Lord Jesus, save us. Most of us, so our souls are saved, and now we need our attention saved. May we value what you value. Uh, we're going to wrestle until the day we come home with the experience of life, struggling with our worries, but hearing in the, in the back places of our mind to seek first the kingdom of God. So I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would speak this morning, and um, the words of Mark would fade away so the words of God can endure forever. We Thank you for our first responders. We thank you for our government that's trying to protect us. We pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that you would give us 
us wisdom and that we would care for each other in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I had mentioned, we've been studying Jesus and his, his ministry for 47 weeks now, and most of the time uh, at, we have walked just a few feet behind the eyewitnesses. We call them the eyewitnesses because that's who the writers of the gospel were, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were eyewitness to the ministry and life of Jesus, and we have tried at Carpenter's Way really hard to be disciplined to re-look at Jesus' story, to not read into the stories the things that we learned on flannel graph or on videos or on um, veggie tales, but actually listen to the story as told by the eyewitness and see if we can glean things from it. So much of our Christian education, our 30-minute stories or five-minute stories and, and real simple application, and we've lost the context, so we've tried to discipline ourselves over the past year to actually relook and rehear these stories. We're in the final months at this point of Jesus' ministry. We're in the last two months before he's arrested and, and killed and he resurrects and he ascends into heaven. And uh, something has changed. It seems to have changed when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Up to that point, although he alludes at times to leaving them, he never gets real clear and specific to explain to them that he is about to be arrested, killed, and taken from them. That up to now, they, they sort of, and actually after he does that, he's actually, they actually are convinced that he's going to set up a kingdom and they are going to be his wise counsel in that kingdom. That, that doesn't change even up to, the, to uh, the Last Supper in the upper room. They still are convinced that Jesus is going to do that even though he keeps saying that's not going to happen. After he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he clearly tells them about his death, and something changes in Jesus' ministry. While he's still ministering to crowds, while he's still talking to groups of people, while he's still casting out demons and healing the sick, in, before the Mount of Transfiguration, for the most time, he doesn't actually talk to the disciples unless they ask him a question. He'll do an amazing miracle, and he'll wait for them to ask, and then he'll answer their questions. And sometimes in parables and in archaic terms, he wants them to dig, to seek, and to knock. But now as he's turning the corner to the end of his ministry, Jesus is zeroed in now on preparing them for life without his physical presence. That's a big deal. In fact, what it looks like, and you'll see it in today's text, is Jesus actually looks at them before doing something with the crowd and tells them what he's teaching them what he's going to do, why he's going to do it. And uh, that is especially meaningful to me, and for those of you who are children of God, Carpenter's Way folks, and, and those watching, that is especially meaningful. And while we want to listen and glean and hold, cling tightly to everything Jesus teaches, uh, we, th this seems to me as a disciple and follower of Jesus that I want to double down in listening. I want to uh, double down in the lessons because much like the disciples would experience in a couple months, of, of doing ministry, picking up the baton from Jesus and finishing ministry in their life, so too do we. Jesus is not physically here. He is here and he's with us, but we can't see him. We can't wrestle with him. He's not doing the teaching. He's asking us to under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he says to them is preparing them for that. And so we, as we listen to him teach the disciples and prepare for, for his absence, boy, we really need to listen to what he's got to say because there's some well, you're going to see why it matters this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today, and I'm going to begin in verse 1, and you're going to, with what I just said, you're going to see this right off. It says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples to warn them. So I, I, before we jump to the next verse, I just want to point out the change. Jesus, before he preaches, which has not been the 
before, before he would preach and do miracles and then explain to the disciples, now what Jesus is doing is he turns to the disciples in the midst of this massive crowd, and it's so, it's, it's so compact, it's so filled, that it says that they're turning on each other. Social distancing was obviously not a practice in Jerusalem at that time. I mean, they're, they're all over each other. And he turns to his disciples and he warns them, it says, and here is his warning to them. Beware of the yeast of the, of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. So, so first of all, I, I, I want to go a little deeper than we're used to thinking. Our minds automatically go to what we've been taught. And we all know Pharisees bad, Jesus good. But we don't really think about what's bad about the Pharisees. Jesus is not upset that people are Jewish. He's not upset that they're followers of the law. He's not upset that they study the law, all things that the Pharisees did. The problem with the Pharisees was they were hypocrites. That was the problem. The, the yeast of the Pharisees, the thing that Jesus was concerned about with the Pharisees, the things that was so offensive was the yeast of the Pharisees. And what was that yeast? Their hypocrisy. Jesus had been saying, follow me. Follow me. And now he warns them to beware of those that claim to be spiritual leaders in his Father's name. Verse 2. The time is coming, he continues. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. Verse 2. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you... Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Now he's warning them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. You see all these people around? You see what they're doing? I know they bad, but you have to understand, my warning isn't to them right now, it's to you. Whatever you have said in the dark, fellas, is going to be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Like I said already, Jesus has been saying, be like me, follow me. Now he's saying, beware of being like them. Beware of following their examples. They are fakers. They're actors. The word hypocrite is not a bad word in its time. It just means an actor. And what he is saying is they act one way while claiming something else. And he's warning them not to be like them. Don't be an actor. Don't be a follower of mine and be a hypocrite. Soon, the truth of who you really are will be known to everybody. Can you imagine what Judas was thinking? I mean, he was there. He's one of the disciples. He's following Jesus. Can you imagine what Judas, Judas is thinking in his heart? Actually, if we're going to look at the context of the whole ministry of Jesus, can you imagine what the other 11 were thinking? Because the truth is, Jesus is going to say on the night of his betrayal that one of you are going to betray me. And if you remember in the upper room, it says that one by one, each of the disciples said, is it me? Am I the one who's going to betray you? Because they knew their hearts. You see, each of the disciples are just like you and me. I remember uh, through the years, even while I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, I remember hearing somebody say that, that in eternity there will be pastors and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers who don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus, but they don't know him personally. And I remember thinking, am I that guy? Am I that guy who's a faker, who's self-deceived even, into thinking I'm a child of God? And that must have been what they were thinking. Because he just looked at the disciples. Now again, remember, they're in a crowd, and the crowd is, is, is pushing in on them. And Jesus turns to his 12, and he looks at them, and he says, don't be like those guys. Don't beware of their yeast. Don't have the same yeast. Because 
at some point, the truth of your heart is going to be, is going to be exploited. It's going to be known. Verse 4, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They, can't even, they cannot do any more to you after that. <laughs> That's funny. Again, this is where context is really cool in the New Testament. They must have been thinking, what? Wait, what, what are you talking about? After killing me, they can't do more to me than that? Jesus, you were supposed to say that you won't let them hurt me. You were supposed to say that it's all going to be okay. Verse 5, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Don't fear those guys who can kill you. All they can do is kill you. But fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear. Now, now I know you know this verse. I know you've heard it. But he's talking to the disciples here, his followers. He's talking to his boys. And I, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I go, I, I thought you were my loving daddy. I mean, I, I thought I could boldly approach your throne without fear of rejection. And now you want me to fear you? Actually, within the context, and we're going to get keep going through it, but the answer to that is no. He's not talking about being afraid of rejection. He's talking about value, what you value. You see, the disciples we know from the context of their whole ministry with Jesus struggled constantly with the value of being adored, with the value of having power, with the value of being respected just like we do. They, they were walking to the upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus has already told them he's going to be arrested and killed in the next few days. And what are they arguing about? They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Even James and John get their mommy to go ask Jesus if one can sit on his right and one can sit on his left. That's their value system. Context gives us an idea of what's in their heart. And now Jesus is telling them, don't be like the Pharisees who just want power, respect, and authority who just want everybody on their team. That's all going to be exploited. Your hearts are going to be known by everyone. Instead of valuing that, you should value, you should fear what God can do. He's the one you hold tightly to. He was wanting to help them readjust their value system. He wanted them to realize they would need to know when he's gone, when he's not present. Stick with me because this is going to be very practical today. He wanted them to know that when he was physically gone, that although they are being, going to be harassed, although life would be scary, and they will fear scary people and things, that he is God, and therefore he has the final say in all things, even if it appears like they're going to lose. Even if they're killed, God has the final say. That's why he's saying to them, you shouldn't worry about this crowd and what they think of you. Don't fear their threats of death. You fear God who gets the final say. Luke 12, verse 6. Jesus isn't done. And I love this. This is classic God, you guys. What's the price of five sparrows? Now, we read this softly. This sounds like something you would put on a doily or on the back of a couch or on a wall. What is the price of live sparrows? That's not how Jesus is talking to them. He just scared them to death. And now he says this, what's the price of five sparrows? Is it two copper coins? Yet God doesn't forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. 
And Jesus, uh, at, at which I, I think the disciples are thinking, why shouldn't I be afraid? You just told us that we could be killed. Don't be afraid because you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So while he's talking about their value system, don't be afraid of what people can do. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> he's saying, be afraid of God, fear him, because he can take care of eternity. Now he's saying God's value system is, is you. It's not religion. It's not, it's not the Pharisee's hypocrisy. It's not good preaching. It's you. Don't be afraid because you are more valuable to the judge of judges, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You are more valuable to him than a whole flock of sparrows who dies and he knows them. He knows the value of them. The question, how did I become so valuable to God? I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There's a lot in there, a lot of controversy, but let me run through it really quick because I, I don't want to lose the context of what Jesus is talking about. The point of what Jesus is saying here is don't fear them or this. This can only do so much to you. Even if it takes your life, if it can only do so much to you. You fear God because in the end, what he says, what he values, what the Trinity says, what the Trinity values, that stands for all of eternity. If someone doubts or misunderstands, <clears throat> uh, misunderstands me, Jesus is saying, People are wondering if I'm the Messiah. He's talking about that. Who they think I am, their confusion. That can be forgiven in time as they come to know who I am. But if they see my spiritual gifts, the things that the Holy Spirit is doing through me, and, and let me give you some context. The chapter before this, which is in this setting, Jesus has cast out a demon from a boy. And the religious leaders once again claimed that what he was doing was using demonic power in order to cast out demons. This is not complicated, although theologians have made it complicated. The fact is, if the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, working not just through Jesus, but in your life, is attributed to Satan, there's nothing else that can save you. You have rejected God's power to transform. The thing that... Let me take you another route. When we ask, and I mentioned this like two weeks ago, when you ask somebody, how do you know you're a child of God? Most of the time, people will say, well, I accepted Christ when I was five, or I got baptized when I was eight, or I went to church, or I, I was at a Billy Graham rally, and I walked an aisle. Uh, we say, I did this, I did that, I've done these things, and we say, I, I, I. The truth is, none of that saves you. It's what God did through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ paid for forgiveness of your sin through his blood on the cross. It's what Jesus did that made you forgivable. It's what the Holy Spirit does, raising us to new life, that makes us walk in new life, that Ephesians 1 says seals us into the body of Christ. If that supernatural power that is actually what saves you, what seals you, and what keeps you to eternity, if you attribute that to not God but the devil, you have rejected God. There's no salvation for you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. While you may misunderstand me, and in time, that can be forgiven as you come to understand me. But if you attribute my supernatural abilities to the evil one, that cannot be forgiven. It will not be forgiven. I'm not going to overlook that. Why? Because God is the one who saves. 
God is the one who uses us right now in your life. God is the one who is going to set up your mission field. It could be your neighbors. It could be where you work. You could pull into the uh, parking lot at Sam's at 4 in the morning to get in line to get toilet paper. And it may be that God puts you in line right next to somebody else that needs God, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who guides and directs the life of his child. It's not us. It's not creativity. It's not church programming. It's God. And too often, like the Jewish religious leaders, we manipulate the system in order to feel like we've accomplished stuff. And Jesus is saying it is the Holy Spirit that does that. If you take, because of that, if you take the supernatural work of God and you deny it's God's power, you have rejected God, and that will lead you to 100%, uh, condemnation 100% of the time. Rejection of God's power, of the Holy Spirit, it is a rejection of the only thing that can even save you, and therefore you're condemned. Jesus isn't done talking to the disciples, verse 11. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, remember he's talking to the disciples here. When you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. To which I think Bar Bartholomew said, wait, what? Wait, wait a minute. I'm going to go to trial? I, I don't understand. I have to defend myself? They might kill me? This is not very encouraging, Jesus. This is not the kind of conversation you want to have weeks before you're leaving us. What is going on here? I mean, these guys actually think that what Jesus is about to do is set up his kingdom on earth, take over Jerusalem, and they are going to be his wise counsel. They're probably going to get special robes. They're going to, they're going to, they are going to stand in judgment over all of the Jews. And now Jesus is saying, when you're killed, and, if, and when you're taken before judges, and when you're on trial, wow, this had to freak them out. He tells them not to worry about what they're going to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Why would they need to know that? Because their ministry did not end when Jesus rose from the dead or ascended into heaven. It began. This is all discipleship. This is all preparation. And Carpenter's Way people, every Sunday of every week and every Wednesday night, all we do here is try to prepare you for what's happening right now. If you'd, I've told most of you in private conversations, the most important thing I do is not teach you principles of the Bible. It's teach you how to read the Bible for yourself, how to have church in your home. Actually, you know, I, I, I guess I should be more worried about the money. I'm not really worried. Uh, God's people are faithful. I'm actually excited about this season. Right now in your living room or your den or some of you in bed are watching this message in your home. And I'm begging you to talk with your family about Jesus. Do ministry, disciple, because that is where the church is birthed, in our home. That is where the church needs to be functioning. You need to be pouring into the lives of your family. And our church culture today, good or bad, has turned it into a pastoral thing. We, we do most of the work. Don't let us ever again. This thing right now we're doing, I hope is a prop, an opportunity, a platform with which you begin conversations with your children about who God is and that he can be trusted even in scary pandemics. These guys had to be freaking out. Can you imagine how they were feeling when they were listening to this? The answer is yes, you can. You're kind of feeling it right now probably with this pandemic. And if you're not, you may be feeling it over the coming weeks. You may be finding yourself saying, are you hearing me right now, God? I mean, you are going to protect me, right? 
I mean, I know a lot of verses, there's a lot of verses on the internet that says, through his stripes we're healed, and, and that's physical healing, right? The truth is, the ultimate healing is to be home. It's to be with God in heaven. And he just told the disciples in this text, you're going to die. He just told the disciples, but don't fear the one who's killing you. Fear the one that you will face after death. He just told them that you're going to stand before judges. But don't fear the judge. Fear the judge of judges. The truth is, life is full of trauma and difficulty. But I want to show you something that my brother showed me this week. Psalm 139, verse 16 says this. You saw me before I was born, the psalmist wrote. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Just take a minute and breathe that in. Every moment of my life was recorded in your book before I was born. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? Not only does God know about your life, not only is he watching your life, not only has he numbered the hairs on your, on your head, not only are you precious to him if you're his child, but he's actually recorded every day of your life in his book before you were born, every moment laid out, including tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble... Now, I want to pause for a second. You might be sitting here thinking, and I, I get this question all the time when I bring up these verses. So you're telling me that God has preordained my steps, even the difficult one. I'm not telling you anything. The psalmist is. And it also says right here, though we stumble. What? I'm going to stumble? Yeah. Just like the disciples. We're going to stumble, but we will never fall because the Lord holds them by the hand. Though we stumble, though we get afraid, Though we lose our trust in Jesus, though there are times when we doubt and wonder if he cares, while we're dying, while we're standing before judges, while we are seeing things happen to pastors told us should never happen to a child of God, while we're stumbling, if we're his child, we will not fall. Why? Because he is holding our hands like a, like a daddy holds a kid. I remember times when my kids were young and we would be walking and it was raining or snowing and I wanted to pick up Anna and put her over a, I don't know, a, a puddle or salty snow in Ohio. And I would just grab her by the hand and lift her up and I would put her over it because she'd end up neck deep in that mess. That's what daddies do. It may have hurt her arm a little bit. She, she may have wanted to play in the snow. She may have been scared of the puddle but I wasn't going to let her do any more damage than her feet get wet. That's God. That's God. Even if we're killed. Even if we get sick. Even if things happen that we've been promised won't happen, though we stumble, we will not fall. Back to Luke 12. Jesus continues. 
When you're brought before, uh, uh, verse 11 in Luke chapter 12, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And when you're working with your neighbors and you're in the city and you're talking with people and they're wondering where God is, don't worry. Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Just pray. You can pray quietly in your heart. God, give me the right words. And at exactly the right moment, God preordained somebody to yell from the crowd a question for Jesus. Remember, he's only been talking to the disciples. He hasn't been talking to the crowd. And while he's talking to these 12, somebody from the crowd asked this question. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over, over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Remember I talked about the value system at the beginning? Your value system is wrong. That purple Pontiac Grand Am wasn't as precious as I thought it was. Then he told him a story. Verse 16. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all the wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Ready for the key verse of the text? Here it is. This is the point. This is the main point of what Jesus was teaching the disciples and he wants you to grasp this morning. Yes, verse 21 a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I, I, I want to I be clear on this, and I'd like this verse left up there for a moment. I want you to think about it. It doesn't say not to be rich. It doesn't say rich being rich is a sin. It doesn't say you shouldn't be wise and uh, invest. I mean, it's not so wise right now, but it's not saying that. It's saying a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth but doesn't have a rich relationship with God. I don't really need to say much more about that, do I? To have everything and, and not to have God is to have nothing. A hundred years from now, family, 100 years from now, none of this is going to matter. I promise you that 15,000 years from now, for those of us who are in heaven, we will not be talking about this pandemic. The only reason it's unnerving right now is because we're so so heavily clinging on to life, which is, which is fine. That's how God made us. It keeps us from committing suicide. But the reality is, for a child of God, this isn't YOLO. You don't only go around once. In fact, this is the worst of two experiences. I mentioned on Wednesday when we did our live feed that, uh, that the worst thing that can happen to you and I is that we survive this pandemic. Because what's coming, Scripture says, for the child of God, no eye has seen and no ear has heard. No one can even conceive how awesome heaven is going to be. Now, I'm not saying that we should all go be licking metal poles in the community. But I'm saying that our value system needs to be reoriented. Our economy is crashing. But there's enough food in our kitchen to eat. We have enough money to take care of each other. God has enough wealth and wisdom and sovereignty to keep us from starving to death until it's time for us to go home. And then we go home where there is no weeping or crying or hurting or hunger or, or injustice. We've put our hopes in this life. The disciples have put their hope in this life. 
And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of this life. Be afraid of what comes after this life. Luke 12, 22 to 34, big finish. Then turning to his disciples, remember this guy screams it out from the crowd. Jesus answers his question, and then he turns to his disciples and he teaches them. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Now you know what their conversation was that isn't recorded for us very often. They were worried about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body uh, is more than clothing. Or a new car or good health or whatever we value. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are so much more valuable to him than any bird. Second time he said it. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if you worry, and if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was never dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you as well. Why do you have such little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Well, Jesus, what do you want me to think about? He's talking to the disciples now. Remember, his followers. And the question is, well, what do you want us to think about? I mean, If we're not to worry about where to eat and where to sleep and and what to wear, what should we worry about? And, of course, Jesus answered the question in the very next verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Again, it doesn't say don't feed yourself and don't wear clothes. That would be nasty. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. I love that. When I read that this week, that was so loving. Don't be afraid, little flock. These are his 12. Judas must have just seethed when he heard that. I am not a little flock. I'm a money guy. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's okay, children. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Just a warning. That wasn't that day. It wasn't a month from them. It wasn't two months from them. They had the kingdom in promise, but not yet. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And if you read the end of Revelation, one of the things that happens at the end of the story is that Jesus gets so excited, he stands up on the throne and says, my place is now among my people. And there will be no more crying and no more starvation. There will be no more injustice. Jesus declares these things from the throne. Why? Because he's excited for us to join him there. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. I know if you are not a child of God, you're probably listening this morning and going, that guy is one dark preacher. I'm not. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that when this mess is over, because the problem is for me is I think I'm probably going to survive this pandemic only to see the next one. I'm going to survive this problem. Our church probably will have financial trouble, and then it'll be solved, and we'll have more financial trouble. It just doesn't go away. My grandson was born several weeks early, and he's healthy now. And someday he won't be healthy. The truth is, it's never enough. It's never safe until we're home. And then safe is a whole new meaning. He wanted the disciples to understand that they would be arrested and they would be killed. 
And you and I have to come to terms with the fact that we will get sick and we will die, whether it's the flu or coronavirus or getting hit by a car when you're crossing the street. But God is on the other side of all of that, saying, come home, son. Come home, little flock. I have prepared a place for you. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell all your possessions and give to those in need. Then store up treasure for you in heaven. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no bot can destroy it. And wherever your treasure is, there is where the desires of your heart will be also. You know, one of the things we get an opportunity to do right now is ask what we value. Eating out? Um, being able to walk into any store and get anything we want? Comfort? A life that pretends to be without problems? Or do we value trust in God? This is not a unique challenge to these disciples. Uh, you know the end of the story. Ten of them are martyred. One of them lives out his life as an old man on the island of Patmos, that's John, and one commits suicide. It doesn't end well for these boys. Yes, it does. I've been preaching on it. It absolutely ends well. With some trouble in the middle. But they go home. They're there now. And we'll join them soon enough. Just not today. And, but this isn't unique to them. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be in our bodies. Yep, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and it won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at troubles that we can see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that as you tried to change, help the disciples change their value system in life, that you will change ours. What a wonderful and difficult time in which you have allowed us to live. Now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we rise to the occasion. May we care for others. May we love others. May we serve courageously. May we, within our homes, speak of you. May our kids see our trust in you. May our spouses long to have our faith. And ultimately, 
as you watch us from the throne room of God, would you be pleased? In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. We love you.